I'm Greg Dollar Coleman. Welcome to Ellipses Thinking, a podcast dedicated to exploring the nature of the creative journey in process. If an ellipses builds the perfect bridge from where you've both been and are now to where you're next meant to be, then what intrigues me most lives in the spaces between those three tiny dots. Learning to recognize the end is a skill that comes with age. That from the wisdom of dance icon Twyla Tharp, who extends her thought, when you are still young, being able to recognize that the past is complete is a rare accomplishment. Few see the end point when there is still so much of the future ahead. What she seems to be getting at is perhaps summed up later in her book, Keep It Moving, Lessons for the Rest of Your Life, in the statement, The Peril of Nostalgia is the way it arrests evolution. And to a dancer like Tharp herself, the realization that the end of the lane that you have chosen to commit your life's passion and pursuit to from a very young age is coming to an end, and that the choice to merge is inevitable and can appear to be wildly unfamiliar in its territory. There was a show, I forget what city we were in, but I was so injured that I was having to re-choreograph the, the dance like right before I went on stage because I couldn't do the choreography. I had to like just work around my various injuries and I was just, towards the end I was getting injured a lot. I was in pain a lot more. It's what happens as you get older and you're still trying to do work that's very demanding. And I remember that was a moment I'm re-choreographing the whole thing right before I go on stage. I'm feeling so uncomfortable going on stage because I'm injured. And, you know, small companies, we don't always have understudies. And being and being scared to go on stage. And that was a huge light bulb moment of like, I think this is like winding down, Christina. Like, you can't keep, you know, doing this. This light bulb moment, likely one of many, signaled to Christina Dempsey that her professional life as a contemporary dancer, the role that she had always identified with, was soon to be eclipsed by her next. The challenge lay in defining the next when she had always lived comfortably in the now. When I first met you, and yes, it was over 30 years ago, you were a dancer. I mean, yes, I had the pleasure of having you in a drama class, but you were a dancer. It was ever so clear. And um, you had welcomed, and I understand, embraced that title from a very young age. And as it grew on you, and you uh, you sort of dove all in as a as an intensive conservatory student at National Ballet of Canada for a, a summer, a couple of summers, and then later at the Royal Winnipeg. And then after graduating high school, onto New York, to Juilliard. You slept, you ate, you breathed from the world of dance. And early on, um, a serious injury forced a lane change. And Juilliard, as I think I remember, rather wisely invited you to move from the ballet stream to the jazz. And over the next 20 years, you've had the opportunity to dance with some incredible companies and in the company of some other brilliant dancers. First with Koresh Dance Company in Philadelphia and then Ballet Jazz de Montréal before moving to L.A. and joining Body Traffic. Right. But as, you know, as, as we know in the life of a dancer, much like that of an elite athlete, there comes a time. 
And um, it's my hope that this conversation might allow us to uncover some of what that time, which for you might be best described as the shock of stepping off the floor and, mm-hmm. uh, and out of that lane that you had identified as yours for such a long time, what that time has and continues to open up for you and to present to you how it's informed you about what comes next and how you navigated letting go of a formal title of dancer when it was the only thing you'd ever imagined being. So the conversation, I hope, is really going to be focused on this question of identity. But let me first start by asking you, how would you describe yourself as a dancer, a performer, an artist? Sure. Uh, I've always been told that I was clearly a performer. The performance quality was something that I I had. And, And I think that that kind of got me through because you know, the dance world is very critical. And I was always told I didn't have the right facility, as we say, for for dance, um, as in I didn't have the right feet. Um, And I actually had ankle surgery because of this, but you know, I didn't have the right aesthetic in that way. And there's certain things that perhaps you could say were working against me when you look at it through the lens of what what the cookie cutter dancer should be. But I had this performance quality, this heart that I've always, has always been in me. And, and I think that's what when I think of myself as a dancer and when people would describe me as a dancer would say that that's what shines through. And I really truly believe now that I'm on the other side and I'm a teacher and arts educator, that that part is something that is so, um, so important and you can't always teach. And I, of course, there's a level of technique we must all have to make it to the professional level, but I'm much, I would much rather see a dancer with that performance quality than a dancer that has perfect technique that is boring to watch on stage. <laughs> mm-hmm. So as you say, it's always, it's always been in you, uh, mm-hmm. that desire to perform or that, that playful yeah. sense of, and, and, and I have the benefit of seeing that. And I remember seeing that both as a, as a, as a child, as a, as a teenager, but also um, when I had the opportunity to see you perform with what, with, with uh, BJM. So Let's just go back though to the mm-hmm. to to the very to that very beginning. When when did when did you know that this was possible? You knew you were a performer, but when did you know and, and what was that what was that first pathway like for you? Yeah, definitely. Well, I started dancing early at five, but at that point I was just kind of doing all of the styles and it was a really fun extracurricular activity. Um, as I got a little bit older, around 10 or 11 is when my teachers kind of started talking to me and saying, you know, you should really think about some, some professional training outside of, you know, the city of Edmonton where we were living. So I think it was 12 years old. um, When I was 12, my teacher, one of my teachers uh, suggested that I audition for the National Ballet School of Canada's summer intensive. And, and so around that time, I was like, okay, this could be something like I'm, I'm getting encouragement from my teachers, but this could be something that I could do. And it took me going there for, it was a four week summer program, being around other dancers from all over North America and being around, you know, incredible teachers being taught by incredible teachers for a month. That was the first moment of, wow, I think, I think this is what I really want to do. This is the next level. I'll never forget. Actually, I have this visual image of myself standing at the ballet bar in class and I was incredibly homesick. I had never left, I was really young to, to leave home for four weeks and I was right. very close to my family and I was very homesick. But despite that, 
I still remember, so I was in, in one sense really unhappy because I was so sad missing my family. But on the other hand, I, I remember in ballet class standing at the bar and having this wave of like, I love it. I want to do this. I really want to do this. And so I think being in that environment really solidified it for me. And so, as, as you say, that that continued on, you continued with, uh, with, with the ballet training and the ballet yes. route. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned the injury. So, yeah. So that could, that could have ended it. That, that could have been, we're, we're done. I thought, and I thought, I thought it was over for a small amount of time there. Um, I was a little sheltered. I, I had only kind of thought of the dance career being the ballet career, um, not realizing how many other options there were um, in the contemporary dance world, which is what I ended up doing. But, um, you know, I tried, I, I had my heart set on ballet and, you know, had had an ankle surgery done and, and it's still, point work was an issue. That's when you go up on the, the toe shoes. And mm-hmm. I just... It, it wasn't working out. And so I had, I did have surgery and I was still having pain. And I, I thought at one point, all right, I'm gonna have to figure something out else out. And I was still quite young. I mean, I was in high school at this point. Um, but then, you know, at that point I had gone, so I went to the National Valley School of Canada for summer intensives for two years. And then I ended up doing the same thing with Royal Winnipeg in, in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and ended up going for the year program. I was a little bit older and the summer was an audition for the year long program. And I went for two years. So essentially it was boarding school for ballet. Yeah. And I was having so many issues with my ankle. I really didn't think I was going to get accepted for the third year. Um, you know, every year you go through a selection, they go through a selection process and I did. And so, so hmm. a part of me thought I won't, I won't get accepted and that will make the decision for me. But then I did. And so I really had to dig deep. I remember going, <laughs> sitting by the river and writing in my journal and in Winnipeg at the Forks, I remember this very well, and realizing, no, I think I'm, I think I'm going to go home for my 12th grade year. I think I'm going to go home and figure it out. And, and it took that space because at that point I didn't know. I just knew I was going to go home, back to Edmonton, um, go to school with all my friends from junior high that were now in the same high school, and, and then having that space, I, I decided, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna audition for colleges that are contemporary dance programs it's possible and I, I you know I did a little research and kind of figured out oh it's still possible and that's how the whole Juilliard thing came came about <laughs> mm. wow okay I mean there, it, and I and I think that <clears throat> there may be people that are listening who totally understand dance and you've alluded a little mm-hmm. to what that you know what what that how significant that shift might have been from ballet to to contemporary um but it doesn't sound like that was a that that was something that was breaking your heart. It was in fact opening that heart up yeah. to I can still do what I love to do, but I just need to change my lane. Is, and is actually, that... exactly. And and once I did change my lane, I realized how much how much of a better fit it was for me. I just wow. didn't re- I didn't know before, but then I was like, oh, this works better for my body. I I love how expressive it is, and nothing against ballet, but r- ballet is a little bit more rigid and. Um, I just didn't, I had no idea that the world of contemporary dance was so vast and, and just so much there. And so it actually ended up being such a great fit for me in the end. It was meant to be really. <laughs> right, 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 right. And I, in, in that opening, I mentioned the three professional companies that you worked with. Mm-hmm. And these, these are not, you know, um, small regional companies. These are, <laughs> these are internationally acknowledged um, and, and have that global um, reputation. But I'm curious, as we're just in this place uh, of talking about how a journey 
continues to know how those three stones, those three steps in your in your career, which we can't know at the beginning where I'm mm-hmm. going next, this is where I'm at in this moment, but how did they serve you um, as the next best thing? Yeah, definitely. Well, the first company in Philadelphia, Koresh Dance Company, it was my first job outside of school. I was still a little timid, a little naive as a dancer, and the director, I really, um, he really helped me grow, and he was hard on me, but at that point, I didn't have much of a backbone yet, and he kind of, kind of helped me, you know, just step into myself a little bit more, Um, and so it was a great first job. It was, it, I got to get my feet wet. And we did some touring more just around the United States, whereas the the next company, which I'll talk about in a second, Ballet Jazz, we did international, you know, tons of international travel. This was just a small amount of touring around the US. Now, actually, Koresh has grown so much, they're they're touring all over the place too. But, um, and it was just a really wonderful stepping stone of just understanding what it means to this is now my job. Like, I think that was a weird transition in my mind, because for so long, I was training, I was training, you know, with the ballet boarding school and then Juilliard for four years. And I always thought of myself as a student. And then I remember thinking to myself, wow, I'm actually, this is my job. I'm getting paid to do this. That was a weird moment. This was shift in my mind. Um, And then when the call came, you know, for ballet jazz, I had always been interested in that company growing up in Canada, seeing them perform. It really was, you know, one of my dreams to dance for them. And so I was always kind of checking in and the director came to the Juilliard graduation show. So I knew him and I was auditioning kind of throughout the time. Right. And when, when the space finally opened up for me, it was just, it was so exciting. Um, And I remember my first week calling my mom and saying, I could be, I could be at this company for a while. Like, I know this is a good fit for me. And I ended up staying there for almost a decade. So, you know, that was kind of the, the meat of my career. I'd say my time at ballet jazz such an incredible fit for me. I have so many incredible memories. We got to tour the world. Mm. It was, but still a small company, right? Like con- contemporary dance companies are around. It, it, it definitely, there's an, um, it, they're not all the same, but in general, they're smaller than ballet companies. So, you know, 12 dancers around that number. And, you know, we got so close and it was just really special. So that was like the meat of my career. And then body traffic, my last job, performing job in um, Los Angeles was kind of, I was feeling that, okay, I'm reaching the end. Like I'm an older dancer, which is only, you know, at the time I think I was 30, but that's, you know, you're getting up there in the dance career when you're, (laughs) once you turn 30. And that was a really special um, kind of last step in my performing career, because at the time the company had a lot of um, mature dancers, I'll just say around my age. And I thought, okay, this is great. I can kind of finish out with a group of dancers that are kind of where I'm at. Um, And and so that's what I did. And it wasn't a long, long period of time. I think I danced for them for about a year and a half fully. And then two years, like at the end, I just did some performances with them and kind of started to transition out. And so it was this nice arc, right? Like mm-hmm. Koresh being, getting my feet wet, ballet jazz being just the, this amazing time. And then body traffic being this nice way to kind of, kind of transition out. Mm. And what I love about hearing that, because I've never actually gone on that journey of that trek with you, you know, um, mm-hmm. I just sort of tapped in at at, at moments. Um, but but I'm I'm hearing a, a, a gratitude for the way in which it played out, and at the same time, um, uh, I, you know, I go back to to you you sharing. Uh, that that moment uh, when you were in your journal, realizing well. <laughs> Um, 
they, the external, the Royal Winnipeg, they, they accepted me. I thought they were going to make the decision exactly. and they didn't. And mm-hmm. so at some point there, it feels like there was an awareness that you actually do get to be the author of, of some yeah. of this, right? I mean, yeah. at Juilliard, we connect with BGM and that's not going to happen immediately. But so you're, you were mm-hmm. sort of laying those, those, those places along. Now, it sounds like that's really easy from where we're sitting right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but but when you're in it, you know, I mean, you're 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 in rehearsal in this moment, in this dance, in this piece of tough choreography today, and we're working through the the challenges of being in a rigorous and I elite, you know, I connected it to elite ath- athleticism, yeah. and um, yeah, yeah. and and it is, and and you know that. <clears throat> Take us back into some of the some of the hardest work of the career, the the, the toughest moments that actually ended up um, teaching you other key pieces of the of the of the lessons of your life. Is yeah. is that yeah? Yeah, I mean, so many levels, right? There's the perfectionism thing. And I think that uh, I don't even like that word. It has such a negative connotation, but um, I think it's really easy in the dance career to fall into the cycle of just being so incredibly hard on yourself. And I know a lot of artists are in general. Um, and that was that was a really tough part of it. Um, you know, of course, there's still the shows where I would say I, say I was in the pocket and they were amazing. I was just like in the flow and there was mm-hmm. enough of those to to keep me going, right? Because that those are the moments you strive for. But there was a, a lot of, also a lot of tough shows where I came off stage not feeling good about myself, not happy with the way, because, you know, I, I know I could, I knew I could do better. And I just, so there was a lot of that. And if, and looking back, I remember all the good things, of course, that those are the first things that come to my mind, but there was a lot of um, just being really, really down on myself um, in the dance world. Unfortunately, there's, there's body image stuff, you know, mm-hmm. from the outside, you're always told you're not, you're always told you're not good enough basically as well. Right. And you're, having to every time a new choreographer comes and creates a piece you're you're auditioning in a way even though you have the job at the company you're auditioning for casting and getting the roles that you want and and that that was hard um and I think also um being on tour a lot was really exciting for the first little bit and then it was hard after a while because you don't feel very grounded right you're very transient and you also exist in this bubble that isn't really reality when you're on tour which is kind of amazing and sometimes it's escapism and it's Mm-hmm. um really special but there was that too so I don't know if that brings it back to your question but that those were the things that um yeah that, that provided opportunity for growth um because I've learned as I've gotten older that the perfectionism wasn't serving me and mm-hmm. I think towards the end of my career. And it's funny when you go see a dance performance, at least I always know when I see a dance performance, I can always tell the dancers that are green, as we say, or seasoned. And it was by the end that I was, you know, more comfortable in my own skin and maybe less hard on myself and just owning what I had to bring to the table as a performer. That's when my career was really starting to flourish and choreographers were using me more because they saw Mm. that you can feel that in the room. And it's unfortunate I didn't get more years in that place just because of the physical limitations that that end up, you know, requiring us all to stop at some point. Um, but I think that was huge growth for me. Um, mm. Was learning that it's actually an asset to be. Obviously, you have to do what they're asking you to do within the construct of the choreography and all of that. But to bring 
your own thing to it and to not worry so much about replicating and being this robot and the perfectionism and letting some of that go, then, you know, it informs your artistry in a way that, that is really powerful. Yeah. There's two things that I'm, that I'm, I'm, I'm curious about here. Maybe I'll go with the larger, which is I, I keep, I keep sensing this, um, this beautiful um, loop back to the five-year-old that had no chips yeah. in the game other than, you know, mm-hmm. mom and dad let us kids try out a whole lot of things. And this one kind of stuck. I really loved it. And as you said, I just always love to perform. And then mm-hmm. we go into this world and we want to perform well. And, <clears throat> and I don't want to, I don't want to suggest for a moment that all of the joy is, is kind of beaten out of us or, the, <laughs> you know, as right. we become focused on the technique, but that sort of brings me to, to this, your, your acknowledgement that perfectionism is a word that is fraught with other, you know, issues, and I know in that last performance I saw you with that there was a, a level of virtuosity right. in these contemporary companies that can only happen with precision, that can right. only happen with incredible technique and and commitment to the exactitude of what the choreographer is setting on you. Yeah. But I, 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 I you, you talked as well about um, that recognition that uh, in that particular dance, that that particular choreographer also was one of them who who came to you to to leverage mm-hmm. uh, the individuality of each of of the dancers and yeah and that's I think that's an important piece to to for us for me to hold on to is that sense of what looks like it's perfect yeah. is, is perfect because of the assembled group of exactly. people that have created it yeah. Yeah. And I've also still today try to, cause the perfectionism thing is always in me to a certain extent. Right. But I try to um, celebrate the good aspects of that. It, it's gotten me where I am today. I I'm a hard worker. Like I strive for excellence, all these things, but then also soften and let go a little bit of the more negative parts of it. Right. So keep the good things of it and let go of the ju- the self judgment and all that. And it's, it's an ongoing journey, but kind of finding that balance because there are good things and and not so great things in that package mm-hmm. of perfectionism right so mm-hmm. yeah yeah striving how do we strive to do good work and not allow right. the need to do good work to close us off from yeah. being able to do great work you know yeah. in in that package yeah. and and i try it's easier now because i'm not i'm no longer under the same microscope like i'm not on stage anymore and stuff but i I try to just have a little bit more grace with myself, you know, okay, mm-hmm. today wasn't the best day. You know, I didn't, it didn't quite go the way I wanted to. And that's just all, part. I'm, I'm getting better at just letting that be a little bit more, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, I had to do that also performing because not every show goes the way you want it. You know, we, we all know that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like I said, there was enough of the ones where I felt like I was in the pocket that it just kept me, it kept me going, you know? Yeah. yeah. Is there any sense of a shift happening in, and again, how can you generalize about the dance world? That viciousness that might exist within, and again, that just might be perception, but I think you were alluding to, people can be really hard on and the expectation can be overt. And, and in many parts of the work, the artistic uh, landscape, there, there has been a softening around that, yeah. that, you know, and I'm just, I'm, I'm curious as to what you've seen within the limits of your um, right. dance lens but is is there a sense of some of that shifting and 
Yeah, I think that's happening in the dance world as well. Like you said, it's happening kind of across the board, but I do think it is. And, mm-hmm. you know, when I talk to younger dancers that are in companies now and just kind of hear how how everything functions, I, I do think it's changed for the good. Um, mm-hmm. So that's a positive thing. <laughs> well, and and it may be where we where we head uh, next, but but you've now stepped onto the other side of that floor, as you said, and as a teacher, you now you now get the opportunity to choose what messages and how those messages are uh, are coming from you, and uh, and and I'm sure that that's going to be informed by your by your experiences, both the really great ones and the ones that that led to other things that you had to work through. Yeah, I'm a strong believer. I mean, my students would tell you I I create an environment that is positive and warm because I I know myself. I know there's different trains of thought on this, but when I had a teacher or director just yell at me trying to get results, I shut down. Like it did not it did not make me a better dancer. I completely shut down. When I felt supported and encouraged, I you know, really performed at my best. So I try to find the balance between positivity and warmth and creating a, a proper or a supportive environment for, for students to tap into their creativity with the level of focus and rigor and commitment and, and really um, setting that expectation that that's still required, but there is this, this supportive environment. And I'm passionate about that because I really, I want, I think dance and anything artistic is a vulnerable thing sometimes. And I think when you allow students to be vulnerable, that's when the breakthroughs occur. So I really, I'm actually really passionate about that. <laughs> just keep circling back for me anyway, mm-hmm. to that five-year-old, to that sense yeah. of, I want to be able to create a space for, for joy. I still, to this day, when I choreograph, tap into my inner child or my, sorry, my younger child, because I, uh, my younger self, I should say, because I, at that time, I didn't, I didn't overthink it. I would go down in my basement and create dances all day. I was so creative. And now, you know, that I'm older, sometimes like, oh, that's not very good. I shouldn't do that. Like, you know, and I really, really always try to tap into my younger self when I'm creating. Creativity has the power to take our breath away, to move us to action or reaction, to invite us to feel more fully alive. And when the creativity is coming out of the kitchen of a local restaurant, the experience has the power to do all of the above and put a smile on your face Q Burger in Qualicum Beach on Vancouver Island is home to culinary creativity led by owners Aaron and Kevin. Together they have managed to make a local burger joint a must stop on any trip up the central coast of the island. In fact, readers of Canadian Living Magazine recently voted it one of the top five burger restaurants in Canada. And if you're saying, yeah, but a burger joint's a burger joint, then let me ask you, what other burger joint allows you to choose between a Boomageddon, all caps, with double the beef, double the bacon, and double the cheese, and Wicked Sticky, where the roasted chicken breast is topped with balsamic reduction, roasted garlic, and fried brie, or the new Sonic Pickle Boomerito, yep, with an exclamation point. And if meat is not your treat, Consider a Brock of Ages, the Thai Tuna Tornado Wrap, or Halibut and Chips caught fresh from the ocean 10 minutes down the street that morning. The fish, not the chips. Put it on your bucket list. Q-Burger, locally owned and operated in Qualicum Beach, BC.
when you and I first connected about this conversation, one of the pieces was about the challenge of making the transition, of leaving that particular life for you and all of what that identity had been that that was that was what you knew uh and i and i wouldn't want to just jump now over to the teaching that you're doing without exploring that middle that middle zone that was really the heart of that was actually a really big big transition so (laughs) yeah Yeah. so uh, you you have i've heard you say in this conversation you know i i knew that it was winding down i was plotting and planning and this opportunity uh, in LA happened take us take us to that place where where you, where you did know that you know that this I have to find something new for myself the my my ability to do the work that I want to do as a dancer is no longer meeting up to yeah. what your own expectations yeah what was that about well you know it started to gradually happen I mean I remember thinking when I could no longer do the things physically that I used to be able to do, it wasn't as fun for me. Like I was like, I can't, I can no longer achieve the, the things I used to achieve just because I physically can't anymore. Um, so then of course I would tap into other things, but, but I'll never forget. There was a show, I forget what city we were in, but I was so injured that I was having to re-choreograph the, the dance like right before I went on stage because I couldn't do the choreography. I had to like just work around my various injuries. And I just, towards the end, I was getting injured a lot. I was in pain a lot more. It's what happens as you get older and you're still trying to do work that's very demanding. And I remember that was a moment. I'm re-choreographing the whole thing right before I go on stage. I'm feeling so uncomfortable going on stage because I'm injured. And, you know, small companies, we don't always have understudies and being and being scared to go on stage. And that was a huge light bulb moment of like, I think this is like winding down, Christina. Like you can't keep you know, doing this. Um, that was, that was big. Uh, and then it just kind of, after that, you know, there's just this kind of gradual sense of knowing that it's kind of time, but also kind of shying away from it a little bit because I had fear. I had fear around what I should do next, because I think I had this thought that I need to have it all figured out before I stop. Like I need to just know what the next step is. And I was, I was kind of scrambling, like researching different uh, mm. programs and should I go to school for something else and what should I do and I remember just feeling flustered at my computer one day researching things like <laughs> like <laughs> educational programs and stuff I'm like what should I do and then I just realized okay maybe just do something you know I um I had a few teaching opportunities lined up and I did my yoga training this is that so after I kind of I told the company in LA I think I'm going to be done um I thought to myself, just do something. It doesn't have to be the thing, but it will like get the ball rolling and just get the energy flowing. And so um, that might, the company in LA was very supportive and, and kind of, we were on the same page. And so I decided to stop, but they, they let me still come in and do, there was one piece that was very theatrical that I absolutely loved. And it wasn't even that, um, it wasn't as physically demanding. It was a lot of theater. I had spoken word in it. I just loved it. Mm. I'm telling you in a different life, I would have gone into acting, but um, (laughs) And they still let me come in and just do that piece. It wasn't as hard on my body. So that was wonderful. That was so nice of them because it kind of it created this nice bridge of it's like for this transition. And then, and then I remember doing my yoga training and just getting to delve into that. And that really helped because it was this, this three month, it was a three month program that kind of cradled me through this transition as well. And then slowly but surely, I got a few more teaching jobs part-time in different places at the beginning. And, and then it just kind of kept going like that. Now, so that all worked out, you know, professionally, but it was the emotional part that took 
several yeah. years and some life coaching um, and yeah. therapy and that really helped me. But yeah, that part was a longer process. Yeah. And, and so, and again, I, I'm not asking you to delve into or take us into that therapy, but, but the, as you say, the, the emotional piece, I'm hearing you say, this is how I got across that line or into that next. Mm-hmm. When we talked about identity, yeah, it isn't about who will I be next. Mm-hmm. How did you get to that place of appreciating how I will be and who I am yeah. in myself? That no was title hardest, attached. Right. I mean, that right. was the hardest part because I identified as Christina the dancer. And I was kind of, I took pride in this kind of exotic career that I had, right? A touring dancer and, yeah. and all this stuff. And, and that was some of the work we did. And the life coaching that I did and the therapy that I did was just who is Christina outside of dance? And mm. I think I've mentioned this to you before in other conversations. I felt that I had these blinders on for so many years. And, and I understand you need to, to some extent, to get to the level that I wanted to get to. However, I hadn't really nurtured other parts of myself in terms of exploring or just thinking about like, who is Christina outside of dance? And if I could go back in time, I would I would at least have those just have, just start thinking about it. Like maybe I don't have to figure it out while I'm still really in the dance career, but start thinking about what other things, you know, do I get excited about and what other things am I interested in? And because I I hadn't done that, I I have to say I hadn't done that. And so trying to figure out my identity after dance was really tough. And I remember meeting my husband, who's amazing. And he, but when we met, I had just stopped and, and I was still holding on to all this. I was telling him all about my dance career and Cause that's what I felt I had to talk about, you know? And, and he said to me, that, that's great. I'm, and he was of course very interested in my dance career. It was such a big part of me, but he said, but, but what do you like, what do you like to do? Like, tell me more about you. <laughs> and I remember sitting there across the table being like, well, you know, and it was a big moment of like, I need to do some inner work here. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I also was a little caught up in how I was perceived and what people, you know, thought of me. And I, I think, for a while when I started teaching and then as I started teaching full-time I would kind of when people say what do you do I would say well I'm a teacher but and I go into this whole spiel about mm-hmm. how I was a professional dancer and blah 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 mm-hmm. and, and at a certain point I realized what's wrong with saying I'm a teacher people yeah. respect that you know I just was so worried about it not sounding as exotic as my dance career so yeah. so much of it was just letting go of those things and caring what people thought and and you know the, the therapy and life coaching I did both and they were both very helpful they both helped me with that and I had tools I still have I still use those tools <laughs> that I was given in those Great. sessions and I think now time has helped too like I don't I, I really now feel at peace with it like I it took a few years but now I'm I feel great in myself. Of course, there's still moments, you know, that I fall into old patterns, but life is so, I've, I've realized how full life is outside of mm-hmm. dance as well. There's so much to it. I'm a mom now. I mean, that's a whole nother thing. Right. And so, yeah, yeah I think I finally got into that place where I'm no longer identifying as Christina, the dancer, but mm-hmm. it, it took some work. It took, it took some inner work for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And identifying as Christina, the teacher is still a title. Yeah. But talk to us about who Christina the teacher is. I mean, what what yeah, you've you've shared a little about how you, you love to mm-hmm. create the nurturing environment and support and, and be, yep. you know, be able to continue to hold to that space of um, of joy. 
that you know yeah. is in the heart of it all. Um, but I'm 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 also I guess I'm I yeah I guess I'm I'm just curious now that you are on that other side, what you're seeing that you could probably only now see through yeah. these eyes, but you may actually have been seeing before it just it was through a completely different lens. Who is Christina well, the teacher? Yeah, the teacher. I mean, I talk about those moments when I was performing where I was that were so gratifying, right? Like when I would have an amazing show and that high and all that. But now I'm discovering this whole other, um, this amazing role that I have to, to like help and change others, other people's lives. Like, mm. and, and I really feel like it's, it's a really gratifying thing to know that I made a difference in a student's life. Like I'm finally, I've been teaching for long enough now, like where I've had students that started with me in seventh grade all the way through 12th grade and are now in college and still come back and and still stay in touch with me and and I feel like and tell me that I've made a difference in their life and mm -hmm. like that is a whole nother part of me now of that I am mm -hmm. I'm making an impact on others yes I was when I was performing in a different way but sure. now it's like it's so gratifying right and so I think that's been a shift of like feeling that sense of accomplishment and gratification from being a performer and, and moving people in that way to now doing that in a different way as a teacher. Mm. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I would say that's a big part of me as a teacher is, is, is learning to not learning, but um, appreciating that opportunity that I have to enhance, to teach others about dance. So it can enhance their lives as much as it yeah. has mine. Right. So, yeah. Well, and I think, you know, in, again, in that pocket is that word mentor and, and yeah. that you, you have now you're, you're blossoming into that role. One of the things that, that I discovered in teaching is that the mentorship is two ways. So mm -hmm. what are your students now that you've been at this a while? What, what are you learning consistently? What, what, is, what are some of the things that they're teaching you? Yeah. Well, it's funny because they, I still, I still um, have a bit of that perfectionism in me, right? And but they teach they teach me to let it go too. As a teacher, I'm a, I can the moments that I'm vulnerable with them too. Not all the time, but when I when they see me as a human being, I think that actually that creates a a, a closeness in the studio, and they're very accepting of me too in that way too. So they're teaching me still, right, mm -hmm. to let some of that go. And um, yeah, I think they they'll tell me things like I learned from them they'll say Christina we just we like repetition don't worry because I'm always like oh I want I want to make it interesting for you guys and change it up all the time and I'm creating these really elaborate choreographic sequences and they're like and they, they give me feedback and I love that I absolutely love that mm -hmm. yeah it's it's yeah. a it's a beautiful thing when you get to that point mm -hmm. I mean I, I I truly believe that um that what I learned from the students I had the opportunity to work with, yourself included, far outweighed anything that I could have, you know, imprinted in any one single one. I mean, it's the, it's the, I think that's the true gift yeah. uh, of, of, of education. And when there's, you know, when a class is, when there's an energy in the room and I can tell that they're having an amazing time and I'm, I'm like, we're all in it, you know, that fills up my tank. You yeah. know, we're all filling up each other's tanks. Yeah. <laughs> so and, you know, there's, you just know that feeling in the studio when everything is, everyone's just feeling it. I don't know how to describe it, but there's just that energy in the room and that that's really special. And I think we yeah. all leave the studio on days like that feeling just, just so 
empowered. <laughs> yeah. And human. Yeah. Right. And yeah. human. Because at the heart of what you teach content wise is art. And if it's not, if it's not speaking to us, <laughs> whether it's an audience member or whether it's the dancer next to you, if it's not yeah. connecting, yeah, then we're just moving through the motions, aren't we? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to I, I want to bring this to sort of a, a, a close with a with a bit of an imaginative question for you. And we've okay. been identifying this and exploring this idea of identity in the conversation, and knowing that your living language, your living language, has always been one of movement and imagery. I'm mm. curious if you were to choreograph or create the choreography of your life so far. What might an audience member who's never met you experience over the space of that performance? Wow, that's a good question. <laughs> uh, well, I think there'd be a lot of joy because at the end of the day, that's that's the overpowering, like that's that's the main feeling of it all, right? I am so lucky to have been able to do this. I'm so, so lucky. Um, and there are definitely be some bumps along the way <laughs> but I think there would be this um I mean thinking about this for the first time I have to think about it but I think there would be this growth towards the end that, that it would be an ensemble an ensemble on stage of all things and the people that have shaped me along this way so I see a I see a big ensemble uh dance piece uh maybe it grows into that as the piece goes mm -hmm. on um with a lot of warmth and and passion yeah that's a good question maybe i should really really um think about this and let it let it be some inspiration for me here <laughs> it's lovely to see you thinking about it in this moment yeah. and i just wanted to add as i was saying that i hope that there are some understudies in the wings of right. a large yes. ensemble recognizing yeah. that that you know there is there is pain to balance the joy yeah. and it isn't pain that will crush I, I, I mean like I get the I get the the pleasure of seeing you light up when you yeah. just went through that experience of imagining so yeah because at the that. end of the day even though there were there was pain and there was really hard times there definitely were still the the feeling that I'm left with when I think about it is joy because I mean life is always up and down, right? It's never going to be perfect all the way. But I, I believe those, those things that were hard helped shape me. And at the end of the day, it was, it was a really beautiful career. I, I do mm. think for myself, like, I'm not talking about that I was good at it or anything like that, but like, it, it was a beautiful experience and I'm still living it. I'm still moving every day. I'm still teaching. I'm still sharing art with others. And so I'm, I'm so happy that despite all the hard parts, I'm still left with that feeling, that really positive feeling. Cause you know, that doesn't always happen. I know some dancers that are, I have to say like really bitter and left mm -hmm. in a bitter way. And I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful that I was able to, you know, find a place of positivity around it all. I think having a lot of support around me was really great and being able, having the, the opportunity to do some therapy and life coaching and all those things. Um, but yeah, I'm left with a really positive feeling at the end of the day. So very grateful for that. And as you continue to imagine that, which you just began that choreography, hold on to the fact that I did say your life so far mm -hmm. because the dance ain't over. <laughs> yeah. That's very you know? true. Yeah. yeah. Very, very yeah. true. So. so thank you for, for this. It's so <laughs> thank lovely. Thank you. To... And it's so lovely to, you know, spend some time just 
just speaking about all of this. Really mm-hmm. nice. Ellipses Thinking is a proud member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It is produced by Jordan Dollar-Coltman and Greg Dollar-Coltman. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. As a resident of Vancouver Island, I wish to acknowledge that I am a visitor on the traditional lands of the Coast Salish people, including the territories of the Snonoas and Qualicum people. The first peoples have been here for over 10,000 years. Their ancestors still here with us in the sky, the land, the ocean, and all of the beings that share this sacred place. As a settler, I gratefully embrace the opportunities for growth as integral to my personal journey of collaboration and reconciliation as I learn and further support the possibilities that lay ahead. I remain committed to practicing my craft in a decolonized space.